14. Or each case a uniform load which at every point would produce as great a bending moment as the actual wheel loads. The following short abstract gives the equivalent uniform load which produces bending moments as great as those of any of the engines calculated, span in fort load per fort run equivalent to actual wheel loads in tons, for each track. 5.07.610.04.85.20.03.20.30.02.63.50.02.24.100.01.97 figure 36 gives the loads per axle and the distribution of loads in some exceptionally heavy modern British locomotives. In Austria the official regulations require that railway bridges shall be designed for at least the following live loads per foot run and per track, span, live load in tons. Meters, fort per meter run, per fort run, 13.326.126.615.4.10.3.126.5.651.5.30.98.441.2 It would be simpler and more convenient in designing short bridges if, instead of assuming an equivalent uniform rolling load, Agreement could be come to as to a typical heavy locomotive which would produce stresses as great as any existing locomotive on each class of railway. Bridges would then be designed for these selected loads, and the process would be safer in dealing with flooring girders and shearing forces than the assumption of a uniform load. Some American locomotives are very heavy, thus a consolidation engine may weigh 126 tons with a length over buffers of 57 feet corresponding to an average load of 2.55 tons per fort run. Also long or wagons are used which weigh loaded to tons per fort run. J.A.L. Waddell de Pontibus, New York, 1898 proposes to arrange railways in seven classes, according to the live loads which may be expected from the character of their traffic, and to construct bridges in accordance with this classification. For the lightest class, he takes a locomotive and tender of 93.5 tons, 52 feet between buffers average load 1.8 tons per fort run, and for the heaviest a locomotive and tender weighing 144.5 tons, 52 feet between buffers average load 2.77 tons per fort run, wagons he assumes to weigh for the lightest class 1.3 tons per fort run and for the heaviest 1.9 tons. He takes as the live load for a bridge to such engines, followed by a train of wagons covering the span. Waddell's tons are short tons of 2,000 pounds EI. Impact. If a vertical load is imposed suddenly, but without velocity, work is done during deflection, and the deformation and stress are momentarily double those due to the same load at rest on the structure. No load of exactly this kind is ever applied to a bridge, but if a load is so applied that the deflection increases with speed, the stress is greater than that due to a very gradually applied load, and vibrations about a mean position are set up, the rails not being absolutely straight and smooth. Centrifugal and lurching actions occur which alter the distribution of the loading. Again, rapidly changing forces, due to the moving parts of the engine which are imbalanced vertically, act on the bridge, and, lastly, inequalities of level at the rail ends give rise to shocks. For all these reasons the stresses due to the live load are greater than those due to the same load resting quietly on the bridge. This increment is larger on the flooring girders than on the main ones, and on short main girders than on long ones. The impact stresses depend so much on local conditions that it is difficult to fix what allowance should be made. E. H. Stone Trans. M. Sock. Of C. Easley. Page 467 collated some measurements of deflection taken during official trials of Indian bridges. 
and found the increment of deflection due to impact to depend on the ratio of debt to a live load. By plotting and averaging he obtained the following results, excessive deflection and straining action of a moving load over that due to a resting load, dead load in percent of total load, 10 20 30 40 50 70 90 live load in percent of total load, 90 80 70 60 50 30 10 ratio of live to dead load, 942.3 excessive deflection and stress due to moving load percent. 23.13.85.54.01.60.3 These results are for the center deflections of main girders, but Stone infers that the augmentation of stress for any member, due to causes included in impact allowance, will be the same percentage for the same ratios of live to dead load stresses. Valuable measurements of the deformations of girders and tension members due to moving trains have been made by S. W. Robinson Trans. M. Sock. C. E.S. By. And by F. E. Turnier Trans. M. Sock. C. Easley. The latter used a recording deflectometer and two recording extensometers. The observations are difficult, and the inertia of the instrument is liable to cause error, but much care was taken. The most striking conclusions from the results are that the locomotive balance weights had a large effect in causing vibration, and next, that in certain cases the vibrations are cumulative, reaching a value greater than that due to any single impact action. Generally, one that speeds less than 25 meters an hour there is not much vibration. To the increase of deflection due to impact at 40 or 50 meters an hour is likely to reach 40 to 54 girder spans of less than 50 feet 3 this percentage decreases rapidly for longer spans, becoming about 25 or 75 feet spans. For the increased percent of boom stresses due to impact is about the same as that of deflection, that in web bracing bars is rather greater. 5 speed of train produces no effect on the mean deflection, but only on the magnitude of the vibrations. A purely empirical allowance for re-impact stresses has been proposed, amounting to 20 of the live load stresses for floor stringers, 15 for floor cross girders, and for main girders, 10 for 40 feet spans, and 5 for 100 feet spans. These percentages are added to the live load stresses. The I. Dead load. The dead load consists of the weight of main girders, flooring and wind bracing. It is generally reckoned to be uniformly distributed. But in large spans the distribution of weight in the main girders should be calculated and taken into account. The weight of the bridge flooring depends on the type adopted. Road bridges vary so much in the character of the flooring that no general rule can be given. In railway bridges the weight of sleepers, rails, and C is 0.2 to 0.25 tons per fort run for each line of way. While the rail girders, cross girders, and C weigh 0.15 to 0.2 tons. If the foot quality is added about 0.4 ton per fort run may be allowed for this. The weight of main girders increases with the span, and there is for any type of bridge a limiting span beyond which the dead load stresses exceed the assigned limit of working stress. Let WL be the total live load, WF the total flooring load on a bridge of span L both being considered for the present purpose to be uniform per fort run. Let KWLWF be the weight of main girders designed to carry WLWF but not their own weight in addition. Then WGWLWF KK 2K3 will be the weight of main girders to carry WLWF and their own weight both. Proc. Inst. Seelks VI. Page 331. Hence. WGWLWF K1K. Since in designing a bridge WLWF is known. 
KWLWF can be found from a provisional design in which the weight WG is neglected. The actual bridge must have the section of all members greater than those in the provisional design in the ratio K1 K1 L de Pontibus gives the following convenient empirical relations. Let W1, W2 be the weights of main girders per fort run for a live load P per fort run and spans L1, L2. Then W2 W1 1 2 liters 2 liters 1 liter 2 liters 1 2. Now let W1, W2 be the girder weights per fort run for spans L1, L2. And live loads P per fort run. Then W2 W2 1 5 1 4 PP W2 W1 1 10 liters 2 liters 1 liter 2 liters 1 2 1 4 PP. A partially rational approximate formula for the weight of main girders is the following and win. Wrought iron bridges and roofs. 1869. Page 40, let W total live load per fort run of girder, W2 the weight of platform per fort run, W3 the weight of main girders per fort run, all in tons, L span in fort, S average stress in tons per square inches on gross section of metal, D depth of girder at center in fort, R ratio of span to depth of girder so that RLD then W3 W1 W2 liters 2, CDs L2 W1 W2 LR CSLR where C is a constant for any type of girder. It is not easy to fix the average stress S per square inches of gross section. Hence the formula is more full in the form WW1W2 liters 2 KDL 2W1W2LRKLR where KW1W2W3LRW3 is to be deduced from the data of some bridge previously designed with the same working stresses. From some known examples, C varies from 1500 to 1800 for iron braced parallel or bowstring girders, and from 1200 to 1500 for similar girders of steel. K6000 to 7200 for iron and 7200 to 9000 for steel bridges. If, wind pressure, much attention has been given to a wind action since the disaster to the Tay Bridge in 1879. As to the maximum wind pressure on small plates normal to the wind, there is not much doubt. Anemometer observations show that pressures of 30 pounds per square feet occur in storms annually in many localities, and that occasionally higher pressures are recorded in exposed positions, thus at Bidstone, Liverpool, where the gauge has an exceptional exposure, a pressure of 80 pounds per square feet has been observed, in tornadoes, such as that at St. Louis in 1896, it has been calculated, from the stability of structures overturned, that pressures of 45 to 90 pounds per square feet must have been reached. As to anemometer pressures, it should be observed that the recorded pressure is made up of a positive front and negative vacuum back pressure, but in structures the latter must be absent or only partially developed. Great difference of opinion exists as to whether on large surfaces the average pressure per square feet is as great as on small surfaces, such as anemometer plates. The experiments of Serby Baker at the fourth bridge showed that on a surface 30 feet x 15 feet the intensity of pressure was less than on a similarly exposed anemometer plate. In the case of bridges there is the further difficulty that some surfaces partially V.04P.0549 shield other surfaces, one girder, for instance, shields the girder behind its zebrit. Association Report, 1884. In 1881 a committee of the Board of Trade decided that the maximum wind pressure on a vertical surface in Great Britain should be assumed in designing structures to be 56 pounds per square feet. For a plate girder bridge of less height than the train, the wind is to be taken to act on a surface equal to the projected area of one girder and the exposed part of a train covering the bridge. In the case of braced girder bridges, 
the wind pressure is taken as acting on a continuous surface extending from the rails to the top of the carriages, plus the vertical projected area of so much of one girder as is exposed above the train or below the rails. In addition, an allowance is made for pressure on the leeward girder according to a scale. The committee recommended that a factor of safety of four should be taken for wind stresses. For safety against overturning they considered a factor of two sufficient. In the case of bridges not subject to board of trade inspection, the allowance for wind pressure varies in different cases. See Shaler Smith allows 300 pounds per fort run for the pressure on the side of a train, and in addition 30 pounds per square feet on twice the vertical projected area of one girder, treating the pressure on the train as a traveling load. In the case of bridges of less than 50 feet span he also provides strength to resist a pressure of 50 pounds per square feet on twice the vertical projection of one truss. No train being supposed to be on the bridge. 19. Stresses permitted. For a long time engineers held the convenient opinion that, if the total dead and live load stress on any section of a structure of iron did not exceed 5 tons per square inches ample safety was secured, it is no longer possible to design by so simple a rule. In an interesting address to the British Association in 1885, Sir B. Baker described the condition of opinion as to the safe limits of stress as chaotic. The old foundations, he said, are shaken, and engineers had not come to an agreement respecting the rebuilding of the structure. The variance in the strength of existing bridges is such as to be apparent to the educated eye without any calculation. In the present day engineers are in accord as to the principles of estimating the magnitude of the stresses on the members of a structure but not so in proportioning the members to resist those stresses. The practical result is that a bridge which would be passed by the English Board of Trade would require to be strengthened five in some parts and sixty in others, before it would be accepted by the German government, or by any of the leading railway companies in America. Sir B. Baker then described the results of experiments on repetition of stress, and added that hundreds of existing bridges which carry 20 trains a day with perfect safety would break down quickly under 20 trains an hour. This fact was forced on my attention nearly 25 years ago by the fracture of a number of girders of ordinary strength under a 5 minutes train service. Practical experience taught engineers that though 5 tons per square inches for iron, or 61 to tons per square inches for steel, was safe or more than safe for long bridges with large ratio of debt to a live load. It was not safe for short ones in which the stresses are mainly due to a live load, the weight of the bridge being small. The experiments of A. Wohler, repeated by Johann Bauschinger, Serby Baker and others, show that the breaking stress of a bar is not a fixed quantity, but depends on the range of variation of stress to which it is subjected. If that variation is repeated a very large number of times, let K be the breaking strength of a bar per unit of section, when it is loaded once gradually to breaking. This may be termed the statical breaking strength. Let K max be the breaking strength of the same bar when subjected to stresses varying from K max to K minimum alternately and repeated in indefinitely great number of times. K minimum is to be reckoned if of the same kind as K max, and if of the opposite kind tension or thrust. The range of stress is therefore K max. K minimum if the stresses are both of the same kind, and K max. K minimum if they are of opposite kinds. Let delta K max. K minimum the range of stress, where delta is always positive, then Wohler's results agree closely with the rule, K max, 1 to delta root K squared and delta K where M is a constant which varies from 1.322 in various qualities of iron and steel, for ductile iron or mild steel it may be taken as 1.5, for a statical load, range of stress mill, 
Delta zero, K max, K the statical breaking stress, for a bar so placed that it is alternately loaded and the load removed, Delta K max, and K max, 0.6 K, for a bar subjected to alternate tension and compression of equal amount, Delta 2 F max, and K max, 0.33 K. The safe working stress in these different cases is K max, divided by the factor of safety. It is sometimes said that a bar is fatigued by repeated straining. The real nature of the action is not well understood, but the word fatigue may be used, if it is not considered to imply more than that the breaking stress under repetition of loading diminishes as the range of variation increases. It was planned out as early as 1869 and when wrought iron bridges and roofs that a rational method of fixing the working stress, so far as knowledge went at that time would be to make it depend on the ratio of live to dead load, and in such a way that the factor of safety for the live load stresses was double that for the dead load stresses, let it be the dead load and be the live load, producing stress in a bar, row be the ratio of live to dead load, f when the safe working limit of stress for a bar subjected to a dead load only and f the safe working stress in any other case, then f when a b to b f when one row one to row. The following table gives values of F so computed on the assumption that F171 to tons per square inches for iron and 9 tons per square inches for steel. Working stress for combined dead and live load. Factor of safety twice as great for live load as for dead load. Ratio 1 row values of F tons per square inches row 1 to row iron. Mild steel. All dead load 01.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.
where phi is or according as the stresses are of the same or opposite signs. Putting the values of f in 1 and solving for f max, we get for the breaking stress of a bar subjected to a repetition of varying stress. f max, u1 t u phi u stresses of same sign. f max, u1 us phi u stresses of opposite sign. The working stress in any case is f max, divided by a factor of safety. Let that factor be 3. Then Wohler's results for iron and Bauschinger's force field give the following equations for tension or thrust, iron, working stress, F4.41125 steel, working stress, F5.871125. In these equations phi is to have its or value according to the case considered. For shearing stresses the working stress may have 0.8 of its value for tension. The following table gives values of the working stress calculated by these equations, working stress for tension or thrust by Lonhardt and Weirauch formula. Phi Phi working stress F1 tons per square inches to iron, steel, all dead load 1.0 all live load 0.001.5 5.140.500.875.3.85.5.140.500.675.3.304.400.750.625.2.753.675.3.670 equals stresses and 1.000.5002.202.293b.04.0550 to compare this with the previous table. Phi B1 row, except when the limiting stresses are of opposite sign. The two tables agree very well. In bridge work this occurs only in some of the bracing bars. It is a matter of discussion whether, if fatigue is allowed for by the Weirauch method, an additional allowance should be made for impact. There was no impact in Wohler's experiments, and therefore it would seem rational to add the impact allowance to that for fatigue, but in that case the bridge sections become larger than experience shows to be necessary. Some engineers escape this difficulty by asserting that Wohler's results are not applicable to bridge work. They reject the allowance for fatigue that island the effect of repetition and design bridge members for the total dead and live load, plus a large allowance for impact varied according to some purely empirical rule. See Waddell, Depontibus, P.7. Now in applying Roller's Law, F-Max, for any bridge member is found for the maximum possible live load, a live load which though it may sometimes come on the bridge and must therefore be provided for, is not the usual live load to which the bridge is subjected. Hence the range of stress, F max, F minimum from which the working stress is deduced, is not the ordinary range of stress which is repeated a practically infinite number of times, but is a range of stress to which the bridge is subjected only at comparatively long intervals. Hence practically it appears probable that the allowance for fatigue made in either of the tables above is sufficient to cover the ordinary effects of impact also. English bridge builders are somewhat hampered in adopting rational limits of working stress by the rules of the Board of Trade, nor do they all accept the guidance of Wohler's Law. The following are some examples of limits adopted. For the Dufferin Bridge Steel the working stress was taken at 6.5 tons per square inches in bottom booms and diagonals, 6.0 tons in top booms, 5.0 tons in verticals and long compression members. For the Stanley Bridge at Brisbane the limits were 6.5 tons per square inches in compression boom, 
7.0 tons in tension boom, 5.0 tons in vertical struts, 6.5 tons in diagonal ties, 8.0 tons in wind bracing, and 6.5 tons in cross and rail girders. In the new Tay Bridge the limit of stress is generally 5 tons per square inches but in members in which the stress change is signed 4 tons per square in. In the fourth bridge four members in which the stress varied from 0 to a maximum frequently. The limit was 5.0 tons per square inches or if the stress varied rarely 5.6 tons per square inches. Four members subjected to alternations of tension and thrust frequently 3.3 tons per square inches or 5 tons per square inches if the alternations were infrequent. The shearing area of rivets in tension members was made 11 to times the full section of plate in tension. For compression members the shearing area of rivets in butt joints was made half the full section of plate in compression. 20. Determination of stresses in the members of bridges. It is convenient to consider beam girder or truss bridges, and it is the stresses in the main girders which primarily require to be determined. A main girder consists of an upper and lower flange, boom or cord and a vertical web. The loading forces to be considered are vertical. The horizontal forces due to a wind pressure are treated separately and provided for by a horizontal system of bracing. For practical purposes it is accurate enough to consider the booms or cords as carrying exclusively the horizontal tension and compression and the web as resisting the whole of the vertical end. In a plate web, B equal horizontal shearing forces. Let figure 37 represent a beam with any system of loads W1, W2. W and the reaction at the right abutment is R2 W1 X1 liter W2 X2 liters. That at the left abutment is R1 W1 W2. R2. Consider any section of E the total shear at a B is SR sigma W1 W2. Where the summation extends to all the loads to the left of the section. Let page 1. Page 2. Be the distances of the loads from a B and P the distance of R1 from a B. Then the bending moment at a B is MR1 P sigma W1 page 1 W2 page 2. Where the summation extends to all the loads to the left of a B if the loads on the right of the section are considered the expressions are similar and give the same results. If the T is C are the cross sections of the tension and compression flanges or cords, and H the distance between their mass centers. Then on the assumption that they resist all the direct horizontal forces the total stress on each flange is HDHCMH and the intensity of stress of tension or compression is FTMTH. FCM a chapter. If A is the area of the plate web in a vertical section, the intensity of shearing stress is FXS and the intensity on horizontal sections is the same. If the web is a braced web, then the vertical component of the stress in the web bar is cut by the section must be equal to S21. Method of sections. A Ritter's method. In the case of braced structures the following method is convenient. When a section of a girder can be taken cutting only three bars. The stresses in the bars can be found by taking moments. In figure 38 meters N cuts three bars. And the forces in the three bars cut by the section RCS and T there are to the left of the section the external forces. RW1. W2. Let S be the perpendicular from O the join of C and T on the direction of S. T the perpendicular from A the join of C and S on the direction of T, and C the perpendicular from B the join of S and T on the direction of C taking moments about O or X W1 X A W2 X2 ASS, taking moments about A R3 A W12 A W2 A T and taking moments about P R2 A W1 A C C or generally. If M1 M2 M3 are the moments of the external forces to the left of O A and B respectively, and ST and C the perpendiculars from O and B on the directions of the forces cut by the section. Then SSM1, TDN2 and CCM3. 
Still more generally if H is the stress on any bar, H the perpendicular distance from the joint of the other two bars cut by the section, and M is the moment of the forces on one side of that joint, HHM22, distribution of bending moment and shearing force, leg girder of span L figure 39, supported at the ends, carry a fixed load W at M from the right abutment, the reactions at the abutments are R1WML and R2WLML. The shears on vertical sections to the left and right of the load are R1 and R2, and the distribution of shearing force is given by two rectangles. Bending moment increases uniformly from either abutment to the load, at which the bending moment is MR2 MR1 liter N. The distribution of bending moment is given by the ordinates of a triangle. Next let the girder carry a uniform load W per fort run figure 40. The total load V.04P.0551 is WL, the reactions at abutments. R1 R2 1 to WL. The distribution of shear on vertical sections is given by the ordinates of a sloping line. The greatest bending moment is at the center and MC18 WL2. At any point X from the abutment, the bending moment is M1 to WXLX an equation to a parabola. 23. Shear due to traveling loads. Let a uniform train weighing W per fort run advance over a girder of span to C. From the left abutment. When it covers the girder to a distance x from the center figure 41 the total load is WCX, the reaction at P is R to WCXXCX for CW for CCX squared, which is also the shearing force at C for that position of the load. As the load travels, the shear at the head of the train will be given by the ordinates of a parabola having its vertex at A and a maximum F max. 1 to WL at P if the load travels the reverse way. The shearing force at the head of the train is given by the ordinates of the dotted parabola. The greatest shear at C for any position of the load occurs when the head of the train is at C. For any load P between C and B will increase the reaction at P and therefore the shear at C by part of P but at the same time will diminish the shear at C by the whole of P. The web of a girder must resist the maximum shear. And, with a traveling load like a railway train, this is greater for partial than for complete loading. Generally a girder supports both a dead and a live load. The distribution of total shear, due to a dead load WL per fort run and a traveling load WL per fort run, is shown in figure 42, arranged so that the dead load shear is added to the maximum traveling load shear of the same sign. 24. Counterbrocking. In the case of girders with braced webs, the tension bars of which are not adapted to resist a thrust, another circumstance due to the position of the live load must be considered. For a train advancing from the left, the traveling load shear in the left half of the span is of a different sign from that due to the dead load. Figure 43 shows the maximum shear at vertical sections due to a dead and traveling load. The latter advancing figure 43, A from the left and figure 43, B from the right abutment. Comparing the figures it will be seen that over a distance X near the middle of the girder the shear chance.